Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show once again. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 173 of season 3, 238 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Today is Tuesday, October 26, 2021. And I've got a couple of things I want to hit in no particular order. A couple of them related to COVID and some a little bit more broad, a little bit more big picture besides the current crisis of the moment. But first off, let's talk about Dr. Fauci. And let's talk about the reports of puppies being experimented on in very cruel ways, which for the life of me, I can't think of the medical necessity of. I can't think of, I can't even imagine the medical necessity, the scientific utility in having puppies be eaten alive by sandflies. I can think of a very dark and twisted movie scenario in which that would be something attempted by a supervillain, by a mobster, by a monster. I can think of and imagine bringing along your political rival or somebody who has done a poor job for you. You want to give them a stern warning about the kinds of things you're capable of doing to them if they don't get out of your way or knuckle under. I can imagine a scenario like that being the context for having puppies eaten alive by sandflies, having their heads eaten alive by sandflies, more to the point. But I can't imagine the scientific utility of doing that. So footage got out, photographs got out, of the National Institute for Health experimenting on beagle puppies laying on the table, their heads in a little compartment, a little box of sorts filled with sandflies. And the puppy can't get anywhere, can't get out, can't get away. Its head is in there with the sandflies and the sandflies eat the puppy's had alive. And so now you've got social media going crazy because hurting people, destroying America, destroying our freedoms, destroying our system of government, destroying our economy, destroying people's livelihoods, destroying the social fabric of this country, that's not a big deal. But puppies, whoa, that's where we draw the line. Fur babies, not on my watch. And I'm sorry, 
the cruelty to animals thing is disgusting and reprehensible and awful. And I'm sure some really ridiculous excuse will be made for the medical necessity of this. You know, in case we have people trapped in a box, their head trapped in a box, we kind of need to know what would happen to people if they were ever in this scenario. And how long would it take for the sandfly to eat their head? We need to know that. Science needs to know that in our day. You need a real job. Actually, you need to be dropped off on an island by yourself and left and don't come back. If that's the only sciencey thing you can think of, I think you're a sicko who's using science as a cover for your sadomasochism. You enjoy inflicting pain and harm. You enjoy that feeling of power. And I think that explains a lot of the COVID lockdowns, the mask mandates, the social distancing, the who is and is not essential workers. It's like the plot of a Batman movie. I feel like this is the plot of a Batman movie I've seen. Divide everybody in two, close off the city. Anybody tries to get in, it's all going to blow up. We're all going to die. Anybody tries to stop us, better think twice. But puppies, it's just ridiculous. It's silly. He does this to puppies or his institute does this to puppies or it happens on his watch. And that's a bridge too far. Now it's super serious. Arrest Dr. Fauci. Okay. In other news, there's a piece at the Daily Wire by Megan Bisham titled, Neither Vaccinated Nor Unvaccinated, How Churches Imposing Vaccine Mandates Are Dividing Christians with a Different Gospel. And this is only available to subscribers, I do believe. I am a subscriber to the Daily Wire, and so I don't think I can read this entire article and have that be okay. I think that's not acceptable. But the gist of it, and I'll throw a link in for those of you who do have a subscription to the Daily Wire. If you don't have a subscription, I would encourage you to get one. They do a good job. The gist of the article is that Tim Keller's church in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian, has quietly posted a statement on their website Quote, individuals who are fully vaccinated are welcome to sit on the main floor of the sanctuary without social distancing and masks will be optional. Individuals who are not fully vaccinated are welcome to sit in the balcony. End quote. So what you have here is you have Tim Keller as the celebrity pastor, now with his name attached to yet another leftist scandal. It's funny to me. For anybody who thinks that Tim Keller is an equal opportunity offender because he does occasionally talk about how, you know, it doesn't matter which end of the political spectrum you're on, you need to be about the gospel, you know. He says things like that. But the tell is if he's going to institute some kind of a rule or if his organizations are going to put out some kind of a statement or take a stand on something, They will always reliably take a stand on a left orientation. So the vaccines thing. There's no rule which says that they have to do this. They're going above and beyond. They're going the second mile as they see it, 
right? They're submitting to the governing authorities. If someone asks you to carry their burden, their pack for one mile, that Roman soldier, carry it the second mile. If they slap you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. Only in the case of Tim Keller, he's been so instrumental in helping the people who are now slapping us on the one cheek to be in a position to be able to slap us on the cheek. He's been instrumental in helping the folks who are asking us to carry their pack for not a mile, but 10 miles. Or it starts off as one and you go the second and they're like, yeah, actually indefinitely, like forever. You're just going to carry this thing forever. And if you don't like that, then fight me. Tim Keller and John Piper and David Platt, these guys have been so helpful in getting Democrats elected. And I think they know it. And I think that they either don't care or that was their intention. John Piper, I don't think that was his intention. But Tim Keller, I really do wonder. I think a very interesting history that I heard regarding Tim Keller, as far as his backstory, childhood, growing up, who he was sitting under as far as a teacher, his college days, who he was influenced by, early ministry, on up to the present. I think that he has been a social gospel, child of the left, in church clothes for a long, long time. A long, long time. And the sad thing is, if he were a creature of the right, and he was going off the deep end onto right-leaning causes, a lot of very respectable Christians would say, no, can't use his stuff anymore, can't reference him positively. And yet I still hear Tim Keller referenced positively, even with his political engagement being such as it is. And that's a sad thing, in my view. And I think that's part of how the enemy of our souls is using figures like Tim Keller and David Platt and Paul David Tripp and John Piper right now. We've built these cults of personality around our favorite celebrity theologians, pastors, thinkers. They have a a good media team. They have powerful, wealthy donors who are giving to their church, who like the cut of their jib. And they use their charm and they use their eloquence and they use their multimedia team and their savvy and their network connections to put out a very polished version of themselves and their message. Build up credibility, build it, build it, build it, build it, and then bring in the switch. It's a bait and switch. The gospel's the bait, and at a certain point, once you're in there, then they give you the leftist ideology disguised as a call to repentance I was listening to Doug Wilson here recently, and he's a perfect counterpoint example. I think a whole lot of more middle ground, or at least as they see themselves, more neutral, politically ambivalent, middle ground churches in America would 
utilize Tim Keller's resources despite the baggage because he's of the left and you're not going to get canceled quite as easily, quite as quickly by broader society if you err in that direction. But they wouldn't be caught dead referencing, recommending, utilizing a Doug Wilson resource. And I'm not a fan of everything that Doug Wilson does and says either. I see the point that his critics have regarding him. But I think his flaws are in execution primarily and in eccentricity on some things, not in his positions for the most part. Certainly not socially and not politically. Some of his doctrine I don't agree with. I wouldn't promote it. If he has written a book on infant baptism, since he is a paedo-baptist, I wouldn't recommend it because I don't agree with paedo-baptism. But his collection of essays, Black and Tan, excellent. Quite excellent, actually. His podcast, very good. Really good. I have found few social and political commentaries from evangelical Christians, which are more poignant, more witty, more well-informed, more graceful, more artful than Doug Wilson's. I cannot recommend his podcast highly enough. It is one of my favorite podcasts. But that said, you get Tim Keller taking the stance that he is, we're going to segregate out the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. And it is the sin of partiality. I was talking yesterday about the calls in Scripture to show compassion. Don't squelch that compassionate instinct that you have towards your brother who you see is in need. Don't squelch that. The King James Version reads kind of odd for modern readers, but it says we're not supposed to shut up the bowels of our compassion. It's an odd picture. Bowels maybe meant something different to us than it does to <laughs> Maybe it meant something different to them than it does to us. Uh, anyway, be warmed and filled. Check out that episode if you haven't just yet. And I'll come back to that here in a little bit at the end of this episode. But one of the other things that James, brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, talks about in the second chapter of James is not saying to a wealthy brother who comes into your assembly, here, you sit in the seat of honor, and saying to a poor brother who comes into your assembly, you sit over there in the corner. If you do that, you become an unjust judge. And you can't say in that scenario, that you are abiding by the law of love. That's wicked. It has no business, no place in the church at all. And yet, along different lines, but in some sense, the same lines, Tim Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian have decided they're going to say to the vaccinated, here you sit in the seat of honor, And to the unvaccinated, you sit over there. Just don't touch anything, please. It is a way of ostracizing, isolating, pressuring, 
culling along ideological lines. If you're not going to fully submit to the leftist program, regardless of ethical, moral, religious concerns about the use of fetal tissue to develop these vaccines, regardless of the abundant reports of vaccine injury and even death, regardless of the censorship of healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, scientists who have had their licenses revoked, they've been fired, they've been banned on social media for criticizing this vaccine, pointing out the still experimental nature of the vaccine. No, no, you have to submit entirely. You must submit yourself entirely to science, to the left, to the leftist program. And if you're not willing to do that, well, then in Redeemer Presbyterian, Tim Keller's church, you are a second-class citizen, and you need to know it. And everybody needs to know it. Maybe they should all wear a scarlet U on their chests. Walk around with a scarlet U so everybody knows that they're unvaccinated. How about that? We can call it the scarlet letter. What a travesty. What an absolute crying shame. But what's crazy to me is Tim Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian, they can take this stance and you have to, have to, have to believe that what they're doing in this case is an implication of the kind of teaching that Tim Keller is offering up, the worldview that he's offering up. If we uncritically follow everything that Tim Keller says, we're like the bug who's drawn to that shiny blue humming light. You're going to have to break off or else it might not be immediately, but once you get there, don't go into the light. Moving on. Coming back to the topic of yesterday's podcast, I've really been stressing out about it. I've really been worrying about it. And I want to explain this because some of my extended family does listen to this podcast and I love them dearly for it. I really do. Or at least they used to. I don't know if they will anymore after yesterday's episode. Maybe they won't. But some of my extended family listens to this podcast and I don't even know 100% of who. I know a few who do, but I don't know entirely who. And some of the things that I said, if you didn't catch yesterday's podcast, would absolutely floor certain members of my extended family. And I don't care. That's not my problem. That's their problem. They weren't over the moon offended, to my knowledge, when I criticized and contradicted family members in our family who are social justice warriors, who are all about CRT, to my knowledge, they were okay with that. And if they were offended, well then, I guess it just goes to show that we are very, very different on purpose. 
some of the ways that we're different, only the good Lord will have the final say on who's correct and who's not correct. And I'm comfortable with that. But as for me, in good conscience, some of the distinctions between me and my extended family, I come by honestly and intentionally, and I have double-checked the math. I've done the pre-flight check, and it is what it is, folks. There is a certain aspect to the Mennonite heritage on my father's side which I like and I even admire and I don't necessarily know what to do with, but I think it's good that it's in there. And that is the nonconformist bend. Internally to the community of Mennonites, there is a conformist bend, especially if we believe this is what's honoring to God. Everybody's going to get on board. Everybody get in line. And if you don't, we're going to shun you. That's the Mennonite way. And part of why shunning is the go-to is because Mennonites are also nonviolent and pacifists. Historically, from the beginning, they really, really emphasize and put a lot of stress on whatsoever depends on you, striving to live peaceably with all men. They really put a lot of emphasis on if someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to them, the other also. They really put a lot of emphasis on the fact that Jesus healed the ear of the servant of the high priest when Peter cut it off as they were trying to arrest Jesus in the garden. They put a lot of emphasis on that. And that makes them internally conformists and they deal with internally those who are nonconformists by shunning them but also it makes them nonconformists to the broader world to larger society and that's why you see the most conservative mennonites not getting with the latest fashions the latest technology nope we're still doing it this way this is good enough for us we don't need to modernize we're plum content working hard living by the sweat of our brow but of course, almost my entire extended family on my dad's side is out of the Mennonite church. And I certainly was not raised in the Mennonite church. And yet, one cannot help but see that that legacy leaves an imprint on the family culture. You can't have hundreds of years of Mennonitism and the entire large extended family reinforcing Mennonitism without that sticking with and being somewhat intractable. And if you're right, well, that's great. You want it to stick. But if you're wrong on some of these points, if you're being actually very self-serving in how you interpret some of these points, then I'm right, actually to reject the pacifism, to buck the shunning. And of course, it's not called that, at least not to my knowledge, by any of them. It's not a strategic thing. We've decided we're going to shun you. It's just what they're doing, right? Whatever you want to call it, that's what you're doing. You are shunning me. 
don't talk to me for years. Don't check in. Don't see how we're doing. When I come to a family gathering, which is why I don't come to family gatherings anymore, barely talk to me. Or if you do talk to me, it's very superficial and brief and all too often fake. The trouble with Garrett is that he's confrontational. He's always got this turbulence in his work situations and his relationships with people outside of work. And look at him on social media, back when he was on social media. Look at him getting into debates all the time, publicly. Oh, so embarrassing. I just wish he could learn to get along and turn the other cheek when he's slapped and not repay evil for evil, supposedly. I just wish he could strive to live peaceably with men, if only. What bothers me about some of the things that I said in my podcast episode yesterday is not that some of those family members who haven't talked to me for years, who haven't lifted a finger to help, and some of them have been very generous, just to be very clear. I thought about that after I recorded and listened back to my podcast from yesterday. Some of them have been very generous in other ways besides, hey, we see that you are out of work, hurting financially, hurting professionally. We'll talk with somebody that we know who might be able to get you a better job or whatever. A number of my extended family members have opened their homes. Holidays were passing through the area. And yet, what's so crazy to me is that for all of my maternal grandmother's faults, and she passed away last summer, but for all her faults, she was extraordinarily generous with my brother and I growing up, our cousins growing up, once we had wives and children of our own with our wives and our children, she'd send boxes of things, clothes and shoes and jewelry, not anything like super fancy, but decent, books, educational toys for years because she had a pension from being a public school teacher. My grandpa had a pension from being a disabled World War II vet. She was extraordinarily generous. And for the life of me, I can't think of why my dad's side of the family has been so stingy. They just don't, they don't think like that or it just doesn't occur to them. And yet they are so much more prosperous. And maybe that's, you know, if they were to answer, they would just say, well, that's part of why we're so prosperous. We don't go buying mountains of things to try and express our love. We save, we work hard, make good decisions, we get along with people. How's that? Not constantly confronting the next injustice. And to be very clear, you know, I, I do want to follow up on this, this big distinction. Because, again, I mean, the Lord is the judge between us, whether the pacifist approach of live and let live, just give them what they want to the greatest extent possible to get along, make a deal, compromise, negotiate, pacify. 
or whether the go to your brother privately and make your case, like Matthew 18, emphasis, is correct. Whether imitating Jesus when he calls out the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, as I do, is more correct. Or whether we're both correct and we're just playing different notes. I'm singing the melody, you're singing the harmony, or vice versa. Whichever it is. There's a big difference between us. And that difference, it seems to me, is going to mean that most of the folks who would be offended are probably not listening to this podcast anyways. They probably talk about this podcast, but they probably don't listen to this podcast or know what it is that they're talking about, to be quite frank, to be quite honest. And the devil of the detail is that (laughs) this extended family of mine, what we have in common is such a such a rich heritage, but what spoils it is conceit. And the shame of it is when you have one of your member, you have the oldest son of the oldest son of that family, really trying to apply these things in a evangelistic way, in a bold and direct way. You pour cold water on that, you starve it, of support, all the while you heap praise to anybody who listen. You heap praise on my cousins, who are social justice warriors, and you'll sit and talk with them. And that's another thing: you'll talk and talk and talk and talk with them to try and bring them back into the fold in terms of not being for the social justice, critical race theory, leftist ideology. Do you still support them financially? I've never gotten so much as even an offer of, hey, if you're ever in a pinch, I really respect what it is that you're doing. We'd like to help. Nada. And most of them, most of them I think would be very content if I were just quietly off the radar because they are embarrassed. And... To the extent that that's the case, they should be embarrassed, just not for the reasons they think they should be embarrassed. And it's a two-way street. It's mutual. It's become clear to me over the years that they love my wife and my children because Lauren is as peaceful and sweet as the day is long. My children are usually, usually very well-behaved, not always. They have their moments because they are people, they are children. But Lauren will get the invite. It's a funny thing. For years now, years and years, Lauren's the one who gets the contact. Hey, are you guys coming to the next family get-together? I'm right here, by the way. I'm actually the one you guys are related to. Remember? I'm the actual nephew, cousin, by blood. And what I realized... At a certain point, it was like, you know, I really wish that this worked. I really wish that I could talk them into seeing my side of things. But if I haven't by now, it's going to take a miracle. And I don't have any miracles up my sleeve. So I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my breath. You do you. We're not going to be on the same page. 
and I'm quite frankly a little tired of the patronizing from some, the shunning from others. You know, I look at this Redeemer Presbyterian news headline, and you tell some members of the congregation, here, sit on the main floor in the seat of honor if you have been a good little boy, a good little girl, and gotten the shot, gotten the jab, gotten the vaccine. You, over there, you're still not vaccinated? Get upstairs and don't touch anything. You better wear a mask and you better sit far away from everybody else. I know what that feels like. I've known what that feels like for a long time. It ain't good. It doesn't feel good. Within the body, you're sinning against that person for making these artificial distinctions primary in importance. And if they object, you will pull the trump card. You're the authority. You're the one with the title or you've been here longer, you've got the purse strings or whatever. So nobody's going to challenge you is what it amounts to. But especially when we identify ourselves very closely with the gospel, that has zero place. That, it, that cannot happen. That cannot happen. I'm going to read James 2, 1 through 13, which is the selection prior to what I read on our episode yesterday about be warmed and filled and all that. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Are not the rich the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder if you do not commit adultery but do murder you have become a transgressor of the law so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment and here's where it gets dicey Because by virtue of my being very direct and open and not passive-aggressive, I don't shun people. I confront people. I don't talk smack about people to anybody and everybody. I might ask for advice, and I might say, hey, having a weird situation here. I'm seeking counsel. Here's the experience that I had. If I'm giving counsel, here's the experience that I had, and here's what I did, and here's how it went, and does that help? But I don't talk smack about people. I talk to people directly. And at present, I'm in a work situation, which, yes, is tumultuous. Yes, it is turbulent. Because I did that. 
I did that with someone who has a ego that was very much bruised by my going to them in person directly, proactively. Hey, I think we're getting off on the wrong foot. Let me lay all my cards on the table. Trying to be biblical. Might not have been going to a brother, though. I might have been going and casting my pearls before swine. He certainly has trampled them, and he's in the process of tearing me to pieces. So that's what I get. But there's a a big contingent in my extended family, entirely too big of a contingent, which shows partiality. And if I had done all that and it had succeeded, and I were now running the company and sitting on a vast fortune, well, then, then we would shake hands and welcome you in. But seeing as how you do the confronting thing and you're very direct and you're clear and upfront and not a pacifist, when it goes poorly for you, we're going to say it going poorly for you is a spiritual condition, a spiritual problem with you. And we're going to shun you. Well, that's for the best, I think. And for too many years, I've allowed that to really, really bother me. And part of the impetus for my podcast episode yesterday, talking about this to some extent, is just the frustration of years and years ago, talking with somebody in my wife's family, her extended family. And again, as I've mentioned on this podcast many times, we were in a really bad situation financially in Southern Ohio before I took off for Eastern Montana to find a job, to find a place for us to live. On the encouragement of one of my aunts, by the way, and God bless her, and with the help of my grandparents, God bless them, and with the encouragement of a couple others of my aunts and uncles, God bless them, but not a... Not a year has gone by where I've not been reminded that there's a certain pecking order and I am low on that pecking order. And that's fine. And I should glory, as James says, I should glory in my high position. And I don't want to be bitter or unpleasant about it because God knows if Joseph can say to his brothers, as he does in Genesis, what you meant for evil, God used for good. What you intended for evil, God used for good. If God can use Joseph's brothers as instruments to move Joseph into Egypt and by extension to save the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then God can certainly use my extended family or difficult people at work. You know, what would you say to Joseph for crying out loud? Oh, Garrett you got a lot of turbulence in your life. Uh, so did Daniel, thrown to lions. Does that ring a bell? So did Joseph, sold into slavery by his own brothers, falsely accused of attempted rape of his master's wife, then thrown into prison. So what? So did Job. Job had a turbulent life, marked by turbulence, It was going so well. Job, why don't you just repent of your sin and come clean? There are some members of my extended family 
who I think really look at my circumstances and they say, you know what, if you would just learn how to get along and play well with others, it would go so much better for you. And I think for some of those family members, they tell themselves that because they're terrified of what I think is actually a better explanation. Garrett's trying to be faithful and there's a cost and he's paying that cost and you don't want to pay that cost in the parallel situations in your life. And so you come up with this story about how he's actually less spiritual. He's actually the one who needs to be shunned. Let's pass by on the other side of the road. Let's shut up our bowels of compassion. And I would be remiss to rebuke publicly in specifics and also in general terms my cousins who have jumped on the social justice bandwagon, the critical race theory bandwagon, to confront that as being antithetical to the gospel, to what God's word says, but then to show partiality myself towards the family members who are very comfortable. They're very self-satisfied. We can't show partiality. We can't say to the poor brother, you go sit over there. Sit down at my feet. Stand over there, please. Away from everybody. I'm watching you, by the way. Better not even think of stealing something. But you? Hey, whoa, look at you. Look at you. Look at your nice big new house. Look at your latest vacation. Look at your nice fancy car. Here, you sit in the good place. We can't do that. Certainly not spiritually. Certainly not if we're going to identify ourselves closely with the gospel. Can't do it. And I, sorry, I can't show partiality to my family either. I can't. If I love you, and if I am going to have a good conscience, and if I'm going to be faithful to God, I should be a primary conduit for accountability, not a barrier to accountability. As I have told other people who were in positions of authority in the church, in other churches, and they ran interference for their extended family. Their extended family behaved poorly, and next thing you know, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 you can't confront them on that. No, 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 you don't understand how this works. They've got the money. They've got the gold. They make the rules. That's the golden rule for us. They've been here longer, so they get what they want. Yeah, that's just how they are. Yeah. Oh, it's hurting you? It's hurting your family? Hurting your wife? Hurting your children? You're being bullied by them? Come on. The really important thing is how it makes us feel when you tell us to stop. We don't like that. We don't like that. We're just not so hot on that. We're not so crazy on that. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Do it for Jesus. I got to leave it there, though. Got to run to work. Got a project today. Got contractors coming. And we're not ready because my hours were trimmed back to 40. And I couldn't get things accomplished in 40. And I said that on the front end, but it is what it is. So, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.